you would bow with me in prayer before we open God's word together, we're going to be in Genesis three that we read just a moment ago. But let's pray before we do. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you uh, that it is eternal, that it is life giving, that you create through your word and you recreate through your word. And we thank you that you've given it to us, that you've preserved it for us, uh, that we can know you in the way that you've revealed yourself. And we thank you for that. We pray this morning that as we open your word and we think through uh, our work and the ways that we misuse it and the ways that we miss what you're telling us, that you would just uh, show us grace, that you would uh, apply the truth of your word to our hearts, that you would point us more fully to Jesus. Uh, we confess, as we do each week, without you leading and guiding us through your spirit, we are hopelessly lost. So we pray that you would be our teacher this morning in all things. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Uh, I don't know if you've ever thought about uh, different decisions you make in your life or where things don't go well or you, or you uh, make a mistake and you have an opportunity uh, in that moment to either kind of double down and go further after or uh, repent and kind of turn back. And uh, this happens a lot in my house uh, with my children. They will tell me something and I will say, uh, are you telling me the truth? And in that moment, they have an opportunity to to double down and, and go further. Uh, and often they do. They go, yes, absolutely. And they'll say uh, the other day, uh, can I go over to my friend's house? Their parents said it's okay if we go play. But, and I said, okay, well, do their parents know about it? Oh, yes, they said. Are you sure they know? If I go over and ask them, they'll know. And they'll go, oh, yeah, 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 no, it's great. I talked to them. It's good. And I say, okay, well, let's go. Well, I didn't exactly talk to, you know. It's like about the fourth one where the, the truth comes out that they... But we often do that in a lot of different things. We'll, we'll start to see, and maybe even not consciously, but we make a mistake and then we go, I think I can fix this and I can fix this and I'll go further and further. Instead of just stopping and kind of reevaluating, oftentimes we'll kind of chase down that rabbit hole and we'll keep going and keep going. Uh, and, and it causes, oftentimes, it almost always just ends badly and causes more problems after. And I start, and I mentioned that this morning because we're going to go back to this series that we've been talking about on our work. The work that God's given us to do, uh, employment, gainful employment, but also just the things God gives us in front of us, the work, the vocations he's placed us in, where he's put us. As we've been talking about that idea and looking at that. And, and today we're going to talk about the way we misuse work, the problems that come from it. Last week we talked about how work is pre-fall, pre-sin. God gives us work to do. He calls us to do some things. It's part of his good design. But then as, as we read this morning, Adam and Eve take from the tree and they eat and they sin and that distorts all things and it causes problems. And so although work is a good thing that God's given us, oftentimes we find it hard and we struggle and there's all kinds of difficulties that come with it. But oftentimes what we do is we miss some of the things that God told us about our work and we double down. We dive deeper into it and we go further and further and it gets worse and worse. And so I think by just stopping and looking at some of the things that Scripture tells us uh, as we think about our work and what we're doing, as we live in a world that has been marred by sin, it's been affected by sin in all ways, thinking on some of these things will help us to recognize maybe some of the unhealthy things, expectations, things we're putting on our work. It'll help us to recognize some of those things a little earlier instead of following it further and further down. And so that's kind of where we're going this morning as we think about work. You know, we talked about last week that work is a good gift from God. But any good gift that God's given us, if we misuse it, it can go badly very quickly. That's the heart of idolatry uh, in Scripture. It tells us to have no other gods before him, to have no other idols. 
And so we're not supposed to put anything in front of our love and affection and service and glorifying God. And when we do, it causes all kinds of issues and problems. And work's probably one of those ways in our society and in our culture now where we do that big time. We can easily let it take a bigger place than it was ever designed to take. And it causes all kinds of problems. You can think through this in all different ways and all different things. God's given us lots of good gifts, but if we misuse them, they cause problems. You know, God's given us all kinds of wonderful foods to eat. We talked about that last week in the garden. He, he lays out for Adam and Eve and all this beautiful things. And here's this food and you can go and you can use it and enjoy it. But when we overindulge or we use it in a poor way, it leads to all kinds of problems, right? Sugar's great. Right? We like sweets, we like, but if you overindulge, it leads to obesity and diabetes and all kinds of other issues that come. And so it's the same with all sorts of things. The same is true with work. And so I want us to think about this idea of how we misuse it, how we uh, are not doing exactly what God's called us to do in our work. And I would submit to you, we've even been talking about this in Sunday school the last few weeks, but that all the things that we misuse in our life and the ways that we don't see them quite the way God are, are areas of unbelief in our life. We're not believing what God has told us is true. And so oftentimes these problems that we have uh, flow from our unbelief or maybe our ignorance of what God has said in different areas. And so all of these issues come back to a faith issue. Are we going to trust what God's told us or are we not? And so I want us to think through as we look at work, the different areas that we have problems with and we struggle with. And the three things I want us to hit on is first the expectations that we put on our work, the expectations we have of what we're doing. Secondly, the motivations, some of the wrong motivations we have as we begin to dive in to our work and the things that God has put in front of us. And then lastly, uh, the fulfillment we're looking for in our work, how we can miss that. And all three of those are pretty big, huge areas, but they can all cause big problems when they're applied to our work. And so our expectations, our motivations, and then the way that we're looking for fulfillment in what we do. And so let's just start with this idea of the expectations that we have on our work. And as we start to think about that, it's a good gift that we talked about last week. Our work is good. It's a good thing. We ended last week. Uh, uh, really of saying that that works a good thing that God's given us and he's gifted us in different ways and he's put us in different vocations in different places that there's not a hierarchy of work that things that now in our society that might make you more money we want to put those up here and things that may might make you less money we put down here we said that's not something that comes from the Bible that's not something that God's laid out for us and so we talked about those things and how we can go forth and do our work and enjoy it and there's some good things and really positive and then now I'm going to tell you, well, we need to kind of temper our expectations on work. Right? We need to have a healthy balance as we look at that, because as sin has entered into the world, it's gotten into everything. It's caused problems in all ways and in all things. It's marred the creation. It's a distorted God's original design, although it's still there and there's still good things in it. But it causes all kinds of problems. And because sin has entered, God says some specific things and he really addresses even our work. And so if you look at Genesis 3 and look at verse 17, we just read this a minute ago. Adam and Eve have sinned. God pursues them in the garden. Where are you? They say, oh, we were hiding because we're naked. Who, who told you you're naked? Right? That's a result of sin, the shame and all the things that come in with that. You're starting to see the effects already. And then God has this conversation with Adam and Eve. 
and he addresses the serpent and then he addresses Eve. But then he says this to Adam in verse 17. And to Adam, he said, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and you've eaten of the tree of which I've commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground for out of it. You are taken for you are dust and to dust you shall return. And so God tells Adam, you're still going to work and you're still going to produce and you're going to make things. You're going to have things, a garden and growing and all these different things. He says, but it's going to be really difficult. You're going to work really hard. And the ground is now cursed and thorns and thistles are going to come up with what you're doing and the work that you have. And it's going to be difficult now. There's going to be problems that now come with this because sin has entered in and it's marred all of creation. And so now your work is going to be more difficult. And so he tells us that right from the beginning is part of our sin, that that's going to now happen. And so oftentimes now in our culture and different things, especially at a young age, you get really excited about uh, maybe getting out of your parents' house. I'm going to go and do some things and I'm excited about what's ahead of me. I'm going to get a job. And, and, and in our youthfulness and our excitement, we're going to grab the world by the horns and we're going to do wonderful and great things. And the Bible tells you real clearly, God says real clearly here, your work's going to be hard at different times. And so sometimes we set out with that expectation of what we're going to accomplish and what we're going to do and the big dreams that we have. And then it becomes very frustrating very quickly. You see today, uh, now more than ever, this generation that is coming up right now, they're staying in jobs shorter and shorter amount of time. Right? There's, there's all this research that says this. There's a whole generation that's now uh, retiring that worked uh, maybe at a company for 30, 40, 50 years. And that's like almost obsolete now. No one does that anymore. Everybody stays three, four, five years. We move around a lot in jobs. And one of the things they point to is a younger generation says, well, it's just not fun. I'm not getting fulfillment. I'm not getting joy out of this. Whereas the older generation went to work and said, well, this is my duty and this is what I do. And I work hard and I make money and I do these things and I take care of my family. And the younger generation is like, we want to have fun and find fulfillment and all these things. And so what happens is they work in a job for a little while and then it's not pleasing me quite the way I like. So I'll switch to something else and I'll switch to something else. Now, switching jobs is not in and of itself sinful. You're not wrong for switching jobs, but it raises some questions as to why. And when we start off thinking that everything's going to be great, I'm going to change the world, I'm going to do all these things, and then it doesn't meet our expectation, that can cause a whole lot of problems, a whole lot of struggles that then come in to our work. I remember very vividly being excited to get my first job out of college that was offered a salary, right? I'd worked a bunch, like worked for a florist, and I worked refereeing basketball, and at CeCe's Pizza, but there was no salary at any of those, right? It was, I got my check, and that's what it was, and I was just happy I got something. But I finally had a job that was an offer of a salary, right? When I got out of college, and it was to work at an architecture firm, and I remember sitting down at my parents' table and figuring out my budget. Right? I was going over like, how am I going to, how much for an apartment? I've got this insurance, these things and figuring it all out. And I thought, okay, I can make this work. And I'm pretty excited about it and all these things. And I remember my dad looking over my shoulder and looking at the thing. He went, uh, you know, real great. If you know my dad is very gracious, very kind. Hey buddy, uh, you forgot to figure in taxes. I went, what? <laughs> 
You forgot to take out federal and state income taxes. You're just taking the, the big number that they told you, but that's not actually what you take home. And I was like, huh? Now, I understand there's taxes. I'm not that slow, but I, I knew that. But it was always I got my hourly paycheck and it was already out and that's what I got. And suddenly he's like, no, 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 it's really about 80% of what you're dealing with there. And I went, what? <laughs> I was so mad. I was so frustrated. you got to be kidding me. 80%, how am I going to live on that? How's this going to work? And why are they taking so much? You know, like that was my own, like, just so frustrated and went through that. My expectation was one thing and then suddenly it was totally Right? Well, we do that all the time with different things. God gives us work to do. He can do and accomplish things far beyond anything we can fathom. But there's also going to be difficulty in that. And he tells Adam right from the beginning, the ground is cursed. There's going to be thorns and thistles. There's going to be hardship that comes with that. And there's going to be struggles that will be there. And so it's important that we see the world we live in and have a full picture of it as we go forth. Now, there's a separate separate side of that that we need to make sure we balance. Sometimes we can go through life for a time and have some of those setbacks, meet those things, and then become very jaded and very cynical. It works miserable and it's terrible or it's bad or it's whatever. But the truth is we need to balance what we talked about last week and what we're talking about this week. Work is a good gift that God gives us to do. There are some great things that come from accomplishing things and doing things. God's innately put that in us. But we need to have the balance of the world that we live in. And so sometimes it's going to be hard, but sometimes it's going to be uh, we're going to see great things happen. And sometimes we are going to have uh, blessings and different things that come in that. And we need to see that picture. And so when we become really, really jaded and cynical, we're going way way too far of the picture. And when we become so overly, I'm going to. conquer the world and everything will go great and I'm going to come up with new products and make millions of dollars that there's some balance in there. And so we need to think about the expectations we have and the expectations we put on work. They are good, but we also live in a sinful, broken world that there's going to be difficulties that come with it. And so that's the first thing I want us to think about. Second thing, when our expectations are wrong, sometimes our motivations get skewed. And the motivations that come in as we begin to deal with the work and what we're going through. And so go back for just a second and look at what God says to Eve here in verse 16. He says to the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing and in pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Now, when we get to that verse, that's a pretty contested verse today. Uh, There's a lot of arguments around those verses and what exactly does that mean and how do we look at that? Uh, I would take the the stance and and we would say this as a church that we are uh, of a complementarian view. That is, God made man and woman completely equal in worth and value in his sight. But we complement one another and God's given us different roles to play in that. That we go together in God's original design. And part of that is God has charged men to lead in your household to be a spiritual leader. He's given you this charge and he says, I want you to do some things and and lead your wife. Now, now where this becomes skewed is God gave us that and we're supposed to love our wives as Christ loves the church. It's not an easy job, right? To love your wife in the way that Christ has loved us. And so it means sacrificing and loving and caring for your wife and dying for yourself and leading like Jesus led. 
as a servant leader and caring and doing those kind of things. And that's God's original design and the picture that's there. But then he says, when sin enters into this picture, it mars this relationship in all kinds of ways. He says, you are now going to want have this desire for your husband and he shall rule over you. And so what what the picture is, is instead of loving uh, your wife the way Christ has loved the church, a lot of times uh, we start to be domineering. We start to, to do things in a way that God didn't call us to do them. It starts to be distorted. And a wife starts starting to go, I want to take control of this. and I want to get you out of the way and do these. And we start to rub against each other in some different ways that weren't part of God's original creation, but sin has marred that. Now, what in the world does that have to do with work? Well, the truth in this is that it's marred all of our relationships with all people. It's changed the way we interact in a lot of ways. You see this right from the beginning as sin enters. As soon as sin enters, what do they do? They have to cover themselves because they're naked. There's suddenly a shame that's associated with it. Suddenly they're aware of things that they weren't aware of before. Suddenly there's a comparison going on. There's a a competition, so to speak. We're comparing ourselves against others. All these things enter in with sin. And you can think about how those will mar the way we go about our work and what God has given us to do. The the, uh, motivations that we then put on them. And so what happens in our work a lot of times, and I'm talking more, I'm thinking more right now, maybe in areas of business or, or making money or the, those kind of types of things that we get drawn into. And it becomes, uh, instead of I want to make a product or a thing that glorifies God by helping my fellow man, I want to do this so I can make as much money as possible and I don't care who I have to step on to do so. Those start to kind of creep in to the way we operate in our lives and the way we operate in our relationships and our motivations begin to get skewed where we're comparing one against another goes back to some of the things we talked about in work last week that this job is more important than this job. The way that we assign those things, well, that starts to happen in our work and we start to do things like uh, comparing against one another. When you see in Genesis 3, sin enters, a lot of times we say Genesis 4 through 11 is showing the spread, how far sin reaches and goes. Genesis 4, right at the beginning, we have the first murder. And right at the heart of the first murder, Cain kills his brother Abel. And a big part of the reason is he's comparing himself and what he's doing to what his brother's doing. Right? You see that right from the beginning. He's comparing his sacrifice to his brother's sacrifice, and that causes all kinds of issues. It becomes this competition. When you get to Genesis 11, kind of that funnel as it grows and grows and sin goes, you get to Genesis 11, and we now have the Tower of Babel. They're building a great big huge tower, and the reason is that we can make a name for ourselves. Forget God. Forget glorifying Him. We're going to make a name for ourselves. And so when you start to see how sin makes its way into all things and it begins to change our motivations, I want to make a name for myself. I want to be better than the other guy. I want to make this into a competition. And so those motivations starts to get into all that we do. And it doesn't have to be you work in a business world. You might be a stay at home mom taking care of your kids. And you see your friend put on her Facebook or her Pinterest, I took my kids to do this and she took all these great pictures and now you feel inadequate as a mother and I got to do the same thing. I've got to go out and and compare myself against this person over here. It's become this weird warped competition. 
And we do this in all things. Our motivation becomes all sorts of bad things that we apply to our work that that causes all kinds of struggles in the way that we live, in the way that we go about those things. And so when we start to do that, it leads to a very ugly uh, picture. And you end up seeing we're striving to make a name for ourselves. And that's a roller coaster. We talked about that a couple weeks ago when things are going well. Look at me. I'm doing great. Uh, you, you try to accomplish some different things and then all of a sudden you take a downturn and you're crushed by it. You're getting ahead. Or maybe you finish on a high note and you're really, really great. You accomplish, you get to the CEO of your company and you make millions of dollars and you do all this. And then someday you retire. And some other guy comes in behind you and he's got different ideas and he starts to undo what you did. And you're kind of left sitting at home. When we tie those motivations in of making a name for ourselves and all those things, there's going to lead to a certain futility. One of the saddest things I've seen uh, recent years, and you see it real clearly in sports, competition's kind of built into sports. But Michael Jordan's not probably he is the greatest basketball player who's ever lived. Right. He's the best. And pretty much everybody, whenever somebody new comes up, they go, well, he's no Jordan, right? Or he's close to Jordan, but he's still not Michael Jordan. And that's what everybody always says. And Michael Jordan got inducted into the Hall of Fame a couple of years ago. And his inceptive speech was one of the saddest things I've ever seen. He got up there and just berated different players throughout his career and talked about how he was better. And it was all about trying to make sure everybody knew he was the everybody knows he's the best. And he's still got to be constantly telling people he's still got to be going back and reliving and making that be his identity and who he is. And you see it all over. The sad part is not just Michael Jordan. Wilt Chamberlain was probably the greatest player before Michael Jordan. And he did that for 30 years after he retired. Every time he opened his mouth, it was to tell you why no one was as good as he was when he played. And it was really sad to watch two of the greatest players ever that should be able to be content in that never could be. And both of them, the motivations of making a name for themselves and staying there, you saw it all over them. And it's a sad, sad picture. But that we often misuse work in that way. I'm going to use it to be over and above somebody else. Those motivations of of kind of competing against other people. Instead of honoring God, we've totally switched it. We talked about this very briefly the very first week we started on this. As Paul tells us to do our work under the Lord and not for men. And you see this so clearly when we slip into that motivation. And so we have expectations and then motivations. And then lastly, when we start to go down that road, we're looking for a fulfillment in our work that our work cannot give us. We think if I just accomplish this thing, if I just do this, then things will be good. You ever think that way? If I just get a raise, if I just take this new job, if I just find the right wife, If we just have two kids and a house with a picket fence or we have this or we have that and we put all these expectations on our work that this is going to bring me fulfillment when I get this. And then you accomplish that. And you keep going and you keep doing it. And then all of a sudden you get that raise and then you go, ah, still still not quite there. And we keep going through that cycle over and over because we're putting on our work Uh, We're seeking a fulfillment from our work that it cannot give us. And we continue to do that over and over. There's actually a quote in your bulletin this morning uh, from Johnny Depp. If you know who Johnny Depp is. And you may have read that quote and been like, what does that have to do with anything? Right. And I knew that when it when it went in there. 
thought somebody's going to read this and think, okay, why is this in here? If you don't know who Johnny Depp is, he's a very, very successful actor. He's made millions upon millions of dollars. He's one of the few actors that people would say, yes, we want him in the movie because he's going to make us a lot of money. But he's also still looked at as a pretty serious, good actor. That's a rare thing. Sometimes you make a lot of money, but people don't take you real seriously. He's kind of somewhere right in the middle. He'd be somebody that most people would say as an actor, he has made it and he's way up there. And there's a quote there from him about growing up and being broken and struggling and having problems. And then I finally uh, get some success in my life, but I can't enjoy it. And he says, I, I still can't rest in that, even though I am one of the most well-known actors in the world. And even though I make millions upon millions of dollars. And I read that quote from Johnny Depp this week, and it reminded me uh, of an article I read years ago from a lady. I can't remember. She worked for one of the like uh, entertainment kind of magazines in New York City. And she was retelling knowing lots of actors and actresses that had come up in New York City in her time working there and watching people who moved to New York with the dreams of making it. And they would work as a waiter or a waitress or an assistant to somebody or whatever, trying to scratch their way in and go into auditions. And she, what, the, what the author said is, is, I watched enough people actually make it. I would know them and they started to have a little success and maybe write a piece on them. And then they'd make it big. And she said, almost to every single story, I would go interview them later as they made it. And almost always the story was the same. They would talk about when they first moved to New York and nobody knew them and they were scraping by and how those were the best days of their life. And she said it was always the author was just saying it was always strange to me that they would go back and they would look at those moments as being the best. And what I think part of what's going on in that is there's a desire of I'm going to make it. I'm going to be famous and I'm going to make millions and then that's going to complete me. Everything's going to be good then. And then you get all those things and you move into your million dollar mansion and you've got all this praise and all these things and you're still the same person sitting there. Suddenly it's like, ah, this didn't quite do what I thought it was going to do. We do that all the time with our work. If I just let this take place, if this happens, then everything will be good. And so we struggle when we put expectations on it that our work can't meet, which ultimately is we're looking for a fulfillment that it can't give us. And so we struggle in all these different ways that you can read through Ecclesiastes. If you've ever read the book of Ecclesiastes, or maybe it's been a while since you've read Ecclesiastes, the first two chapters, the author says basically that I looked for meaning in my work. I looked for it in wisdom. I looked for it in pleasure. I looked for it in all these ways. And it's all vanity. None of it has completed me the way I thought it would. And he just says it real clearly. And we see that picture when we take work and we elevate it to be something it was never meant to be. It's going to lead to a lot of disappointments and struggles and heartaches. And so the last thing I want us to consider for just a minute is what is the answer to this? If you've ever been here before, you can probably guess what the answer is. I often like to joke that when you were a kid in, in Sunday school and they asked a question that you didn't know and you'd say, well, Jesus, right? He had a pretty good chance of it being right, right? Jesus, yes, that's good, right? Yeah, that's the answer. Right? When we say, well, what is the answer to all of this? The good news of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us actually comes to play on every single one of these things when we see that. Jesus is the answer. He is the answer to all of this. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the answer. See, when we put expectations on our work, 
thinking I'm going to change the world and I'm going to do all these great things and I'm going to validate myself and I'm going to see it that way. This will be the answer to all my problems. The answer is that Jesus has already answered all of your problems. It's stemming from an area of unbelief of what Christ has already accomplished for you. I think I'm going to do this instead of resting in what God is doing and what he's done in Christ. And so we take that and we we forget the big picture of what God's doing and how he's working. And we put these unreasonable expectations and we're simply not trusting that God's good, that he's the answer that we're looking for. And we get off on these other things. That's why Paul says so clear. You do your work unto the Lord, not for men. Don't make it into this. Or when we get wrong motivations, I'm going to put these people down and I don't care who I have to step on to make it to the top and make lots of money. And I'm going to do it and I'm going to go any way I want. And this is the way it's going to work. The picture is when we start to do that and we measure our success over and against other people, putting these people down so I'm better than they are. And we start to walk our way through that. We're not believing that God is gracious and then he's already accepted you completely and totally in Jesus. And it's not your work that does that. We're forgetting that. There's areas of unbelief that I've got to work so that I'm accepted. And Jesus says, I don't work that way. I love you because I love you. And you now get to live this way in light of who you are in Christ. And we, it, it happens all the time when we move those things to the side. Or the last one, we look for ultimate fulfillment in what we do. If I just get to this point, then things will be good. Then I will have made it and then I can rest. But the truth is, you already have all that you were ever looking for in Jesus. Your relationship with God is secure. You have access to the creator of the universe. The only opinion that truly matters of you already says, I love you and you're accepted because of what Jesus has done. And you're never going to find it anywhere else. And he says, you rest in what I've done. You leave the other stuff up to me and you continue to seek me. You don't have to validate yourself by what you accomplish. The God of the universe came down and laid his life down for you and took your sin on himself and he gave you his righteousness. What more do you need? Like a big house is going to validate me. The creator of the universe already loves you completely and totally. And so every single one of those things that we do is we're forgetting who we are and what we have in Christ. When we root it in that and we seek to honor and glorify him and live that out, then these other things take care of themselves. Suddenly we don't have an expectation that I have to earn this much money to be worthy. You've already got that in Christ. And so it really is truly the gospel is the answer to all our problems on how we misuse our work. And that is good news that we love a God that is so gracious and kind and loves us in that way. So let's pray. God, we thank you for the truth of your word and pray that you would help us to stay right in the center of trusting you in all things that we would define ourselves uh, not by uh, the way the world does by others opinions but by what you are and who you are and what you've done for us that we would rest in that i pray that you'd give us a heart to to serve others and work hard and do things that you've given us to do right in front of us but it would always be for your glory and your honor not for our validation
not for our uh, putting others down or our temporary gain, but it would always be for you and your eternal glory. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.